Hello, hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of Midlife Film Catch-Up, a podcast where we catch up on films we've seen, we've not seen before in this point in our lives. I'm Sam Turner and this is uh, Christopher Jenkins. Hi, I'm Chris. Just having a little sip of tea there. Sorry. Each week we uh, watch a film that's new to us, starting from the year we were born, which was uh, 1982, there or thereabouts, and we're going chronologically through each year to the present day. Uh, Before the recording, neither of us know what we thought of the film, Um, and this is a a special week, a special episode for the podcast, so um, Chris, if you don't mind, I've actually Mm -hmm. uh, written written a special introduction for this this podcast. Wow, wow. Preparation. It's a big day. Shoot. Ga- okay. Gallagher, Kemp, Mario, Mitchell, Wayne, Moss, Doobie, Chuckle. Brothers, they come in all shapes and sizes, different dynamics, various vibes. The relationship is a special one, and the early years we spend with our siblings are always formative. We're honoured today to be joined by Mike Jenkins, brother of my co-host Chris. Last week we gave an insight into an important year in Chris and Mike's lives. Today Mike is going to shed some more light on the early years of the Jenkins family as we arrive at the fifth year of our story. But first we'll be covering this week's film. But before that, welcome Mike. Uh, Thank you Sam and thank you Chris. Uh, I think uh, the the honour... It's definitely mine, so thanks very much for having me on. No, no, we, no. We, I, I don't always write introductions, so I thought I thought it'd be a, as it's a special occasion. I'd uh, I just put some pen to paper. That's, That's a uh, re- re- really nice introduction. And uh, if you'd been at, yeah at my wedding, you perhaps could have introduced Chris using that speech for his best man speech. That would have been a nice little touch. That would have been like well, if yeah, if you get married again, you know where <laughs> I am. What year? What year did you get married again, Mike? Ah, oh, Jesus! Can we edit this bit out if I get it wrong? Um, <laughs> no. I think it was yeah. two thousand and seven. So, if if I knew Sam then, Sam then he could have introduced it. Um, which brother from that list, Mike? Would you say were the most similar to? Well, as Sam was reading out the list, and I could see where he was going quite quickly. I was really hoping that Chuckle would make an appearance because um, I know comedy is a big part of your life, um, not not so much mine, um, but we've both got facial hair and um, you remind me of um, Barry, so I would say definitely Chuckle Brothers. I thought you were going to say Paul. That's yeah. interesting. So well, which... I would say you're more Barry because um, you're taller and well, you seem taller and skinnier. You're actually not as skinny as me, but but um, Barry was very tall. It seemed Barry's still still alive, isn't he? No. Uh, sorry, Barry's departed. Yeah, That's why Paul is Barry. still alive and doing grime and house videos with a uh, Tinchy Strider and people like that. Oh, that's not grime. I thought you were like. How clean is your house? Grime house videos. Is that you? What you know? How, how clean is your house? Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought he was doing like guest appearances and that or something. <laughs> I think um, 
I think it's the style of music. Cool. So this week's film is a um, it's a Werner Herzog film. Uh, before we get going, what are our, all our relationships with uh, Werner Herzog? Mike, are you are you familiar with this director? Well, I thought I'd heard of the name, and I purposely didn't read up about him before watching the film because I didn't want any spoilers. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the film, and then I read up about him afterwards. And the only thing that I looked at the list and thought, oh, maybe I've seen him from that or heard about him from that, was Nosferatu. Um, but then I realised the version of Nosferatu I'd seen was the original 1922 version and not the remake that he did, um, which must have been a fair few years later. So I don't know. I've, I've heard of him, but I don't know why. Yeah, it's, one, it's very much one of those, isn't it? I, th- I think my only experience of him is actually uh before this was grizzly man the um the the old uh, bears documentary documentary about yeah. the bears great Those documentary boys. what about you chris are you a herzogian uh, uh i i i'm I, I i'm a little bit herzogian uh grizzly man would like i just loved that when it came out and i've seen it three times um and I've seen a film called Aguirre, the the Wrath of God, with Klaus Kinski, mm-hmm. and uh, I've seen My Best Fiend, the documentary, another documentary, and last night Emma and I watched another one called Le- another documentary called Little Dieter Needs to Fly, um, and I've seen his remake of Bad Lieutenant uh, with Nicolas Cage, which isn't oh, really a remake; yeah. it's more a reimagining. Um, and I've I didn't realise that was him. Yeah, and I've watched lots of interviews with him because he's a very funny man with a very distinct voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. So we're we're all coming to this film from from different angles, and aren't we? Different um, familiarities with uh, yeah. Yeah. Werner. Um, Sorry, so this before we before we start, Sam. Um, just I know we mentioned uh, the fact that we didn't start on. Um, the year I was born, uh, which is fine. But we've that's water under the bridge. And last week we broached the per diem aspect of it, or the lack the lack of a per diem. You know, mm-hmm. because we have to pay to watch these films each week, yeah. and we, it's you know cost of living. We've all got everyone's got their own uh, thing. You've got trips to New York to pay for. Yeah. Um, I've got bills to pay for, uh, but that's okay. The, the thing that I was thinking about more this week is that um, I want to know what the after what the producer thinks of aftercare because um, we are kind of like each week we're kind of delving into our memories and our past and uh, that that you know that brings up stuff and mm. I don't know about yourself but I've been, been experiencing very vivid dreams since we started oh. this podcast. So right, I think okay. I'm processing a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and that's, that's, you know, that takes its toll. I've been suffering from tiredness, um, Tired, tiredness, tiredness. sometimes, sometimes a runny nose. Um, mm. not sure that's really coughs, coughs, yeah, sore again. throat sometimes. It's just so, season. yeah. So, so I, I, I was curious about the producer's thoughts on that. It was a, Who's the producer? Um, 
Sam Turner. Oh, my thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'll I'll definitely take that into account. How about um, after each recording, I just mm. send you a text and just yeah. say how how are you how are you doing? Give me you could give me three rings, just to let me know you got home safe. Would that help? Yeah, I think that would. Um, I think that would sort out the um, the vivid dream aspect, maybe. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Um, or the uh, the exhaustion. Not so sure about. Well, the fact that you're dreaming suggests that you're you're getting some you're getting some sleep. I'm getting sleep, but it's processing of stuff, you know. Yeah. And if you look at if you look at reality, other reality TV programs, they have an aftercare system in place. Other other reality TV programs. Yeah. Is that is that what you see this as? Yeah, kind of. It sounds like you're getting a bit of a cancelling benefit from this, Chris, as well. Yeah, I thought it was more of of benefit than it was, you know, it, it, detrimental to your mental health. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess. It depends who's the counsellor in this, because even a counsellor in real life will even have supervision, which is when they go and see another counsellor to talk about what they're going through with their clients. It's like a never-ending chain. Like an so Arubaros the... of counsellors. Pardon? Like an Arubaros of counsellors that uh, we yeah. sort of form that between us as a supporting group. Like when you fall fall backwards in a circle and everyone catches each other. Exactly. That, that's what I was going to say. The Arubaros of counsellors. Redbush tea. Well, yeah, let's try the three rings and um, and we'll take it from there. Not, not the films. Sorry, not the ring, not the ring films, because <laughs> that would have the opposite effect. Yeah, no. I'll, after recording, I'm not, each I'm not watching. Episode. I'm not watching Japanese horror. Fine, that's fine. So this... I thought you meant the Lord of the Rings. So this week we're on 1987. And the film is Werner Herzog's Cobra Verde. Cobra Verde is a tale of a Brazilian bandit, Francisco Manuel Manuel de Silva, Silva. played by Klaus Kinski, long-term collaborator of Werner Herzog. Um, De Silva's nickname is Cobra Verde. Or what you might say, the Green Cobra. But they don't, they don't say that. Um, and the Green Cobra is um, a notorious Brazilian bandit who comes across a um, slave plantation owner, a plantation owner, and who quickly employs him. Um, and then he then. Cobra Verdi, the Green Cobra, crosses the plantation owner. So the plantation owner sends Cobra Verdi to Wait, Africa. Whoa, whoa! How do, how does he cross the plantation owner? It's quite amazing. He impregnates three of his daughters. Yeah, and we don't know how that happens, but 
Needless but to say, you can probably probably guess. Well, I mean, I don't yeah. know. How, I don't know how much consent is involved. Is what, what what I meant. Yeah, but we can. We may or may may or may not go into that. Um, so then we find uh, the green cobra in in Africa, uh, where he where people all of um, the plantation owners friends expecting to be very quickly killed by the uh by the you wanted to say natives no, no. <laughs> um i've got i've got some qualifications to make here right okay qualification number 1 is that we three like you've opened up a can of worms with this film choice sam and but i'm not blaming you i'm just saying First qualification is that we three white men are probably the least qualified to talk about this film in a public setting. Mm. So I mean, it's, li- it, it, so it, it, so so listeners, please be aware of that. Where aware sec- of that? Yeah, and the second qualification is um, is also to mention that Klaus Kinski is a horrible human being and we don't condone he he was he was a a rapist of one of his children for about 14 years so we so you know it's important not to we're not idolizing him in this film in any way and that was a film and we didn't realize until we chose it we were going to choose woody allen and then we vetoed him because he's dodgy as he could be dodgy as well and then we seem to have picked an even worse monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I, I, yeah, I'd like to maybe talk about that. You say that it's um, we're aware that we are three white men talking about this film, but Werner Herzog, as a white man, chose the subject matter to make a film about, and it's based on a book by Bruce Chatwin, another white man who's also tackling the issue of slavery. Where, so, uh, so you're saying we're the best people to talk about it? <laughs> no, no. What I'm what I'm saying is it's probably uh, not fitting, but um, it's you know it's very much an issue that we we definitely have to address when talking about this film. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to come up. So I just wanted to yeah get no, get that, that that those qualifications in there early because it's it, it, this is a tricky film to talk about. Yeah. But, but I, we haven't asked Mike. Mike, are you, do you have any African heritage? Um, not that I'm aware of. Um, I don't think there's any statues of me up anywhere that there shouldn't be with any dodgy links to sort of uh, long-standing trust funds and family money. Um, and um, as Chris has said, I, not I am, yet. I am, not, I am not white. Yet. So not, not yet what? Not yet with the statues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This time, um, no, I'm 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 white just for our listeners' benefit, um, and uh, I've uh, the only place I've been to in Africa is Morocco, um, mm. and um, that wasn't where the film was based. So um, I think I've probably got a pretty good perspective on the slave trade, if you if you ask me. So right, okay, quite, yeah, quite fitting that I'm, I'm here today. I would say a good, good. perspective on it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. You mean like a morally good perspective on it, or like, or you mean like a knowledgeable perspective on it? 
Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a tricky one. Um, yeah. I mean, some people thought that our grandpa, me and Mike's grandpa, was... He was... Some people thought he might be mixed race. Uh, and then our our cousin Rachel, some people thought she might be as well. Interesting. I don't think there's an ounce of truth in it, but it's something that came up in family conversations sometimes. Right, okay. Well, just to um, just to complete the synopsis of the film, so the Green Cobra is in Africa. They think he's going to get killed, but he actually um, makes a kind of success of his life in, in Africa and becomes Viceroy. Uh, the the book that the film's based on is the Viceroy of Weeda. Uda. Uda. Weeda. Weeda. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. <laughs> By Bruce Chatwin. And I'd say that he has success against all the odds and just for through pure strength of character. He has some success as a slave. That, that's, that's that's interesting, and I I just thought he was a, a bit of a, a bit of a failure actually. Right. I mean, uh, he's certainly shown to be that. I'd say by the end, yeah. But but throughout, I was thinking, oh, he's a. Uh, he's. He's a. Uh, he he was you know like repugnant. But yeah. Throughout, I was thinking, oh, he's he's on some sort of journey to become... Uh, he's going to go back to Brazil and have his revenge on the people who sent him away to his death. So, but it was kind of interesting. Go, go What were you going to say, Mike? Um, well, I mean, I'm conscious Sam's still got to wrap up this synopsis, but um be interesting what your thought, because I, I thought he was a bit of a failure... And uh, yeah, it didn't didn't really strike me as repugnant. I thought he was kind of the the hero of the film. Um, I, I, I quite I quite liked his character, and I, I loved the sort of uh, the actor and the energy that he brought to it as well as that character. I mean, yeah. it, he's a he's a very intense performer, isn't he, uh, Kinski? And this, I think, well, you'll know more from watching the documentary about Kinski, my my best fiend. But this my was beautiful, like my beautiful laundrette. <laughs> yeah, you with you, Klaus Kinski. This was very much when he was unraveling his his mental state was un- unraveling, wasn't it? It was the last time that he worked with Herzog, and uh, there's a there's a um, director's commentary of the film on a website called um, YouTube, and um, Herzog says that this was the only film where uh, Kinski physically attacked him. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say that Kinski was unraveling on this film. He he's he was permanently psychotic and mm-hmm. crackers and aggressive on all his films. I, I I I don't think any more so on this. But yeah, the thing about him, the only time he physically attacked Herzog, is um, kind of being said by Herzog himself that that. Kinski was just acting up for the photographer who was on set mm. to so, create a good photo opportunity. But he was, I've seen, that's not to say he wasn't an aggressive character because I've seen footage of him on 
Herzog's previous film just berating the assistant director for a solid 15 minutes and he's a, a terrifying person. Well, I don't know if it was the um, assistant director or the director of photography, but the one that started this film, they had to ask to leave this film because um, yeah. Kin- Kinski was victimising him so much. That, that that was this film. The cinematographer walked off. Um, I, I think I'd say that I found the character repugnant. That was just heavily influenced by my by my knowledge of Kinski as a person. Mm, to be honest, yeah. I think that's what I was seeing it through. Because he is on a hero's journey, that classic hero's journey. Except he's an anti-hero. He's you, you, you're being. It's a classic thing where you're being forced to like a character like you know like tony soprano you, you like a character who's does terrible things but you're still on that journey with him um, yeah but let's finish the synopsis i think well let's um what 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 more is it to, to so yeah he, he's kind of he's led in a specific direction in africa and then he's kind of you're gonna to have to remind me what happens now because I watched it five days ago. He he uh, <laughs> he 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 goes to Africa. The king of I want to say Mahoney, but it's Dahomey. Dahomey. No, Dahomey. Not 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 yeah. what you said. And uh, the king doesn't kill him and gives him his own set of slaves. And and uh, Kinski's character moves into a dilapidated castle that used to be used for slave trading that mm-hmm. was built by the portuguese and has his own slaves and then and then one day the king turns on him and wants to have kinski killed he accuses him of some bizarre fictitious crimes uh, like poisoning his greyhound and then they go to kinski's going to be killed he's rescued by a, a family member of the king who says we're going to do a coup and we need your help to do it. Kinski help trains up a tribe of women uh, and they go and overthrow the king. And then Kinski has a kind of indirect, that way Kinski has like an indirect control of the slave trade because he's got, he's in bed with the other king. Like they're kind of like they've hatched this plan together. So then you think, ah, Okay, uh, he's on top. He's gone from nothing to becoming this big, powerful slave trader, and then, and then, a Brazilian guy comes over on the boat and says, "Slavery's over. It's finished. Uh, we're ruined. Let's drink to slavery." And then Kinski's character says, "Slavery is a crime. Always has been." Uh, and then the end of the film and then slavery finishes Kinski's on his own in the castle again and then by the end of the film he's trying to drag a sailboat out onto the sea in order to escape uh, West Africa and go back somewhere or go back home and he can't do it because the boat's too heavy and he's just pulling it on his own Mm -hmm. and then he falls in the water and rolls around in the water for five minutes and I think, as you'll have seen in the director's commentary, Sam Herzog was saying you're meant to think he drowns at that point, mm. although it's not that clear. Yeah. 
can I say that was a really good uh, synopsis, Chris? Oh, oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So, all right. Quick, quick thoughts then, um, Mike. Upon completing this film, what, what, what were your impressions? I, I thought it was bonkers. Um, I, th- <laughs> I, I hadn't really read up much about the film beforehand, so I came to it fresh. And uh, oh, can I just check? Was yours in German? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, right, good. Yeah, so, so it was mine. I thought I might have got like a knockoff version or something. Um, so I, I, di- I didn't know it'd be in German, although in hindsight, now knowing what I do know about Klaus Kinski, clues in the name, Wernhertz or clues in the name, uh, obviously they're German. But that that was initially confusing. I thought I had the wrong subtitles on. Anyway. Um, oh, my, my yeah, subtitles were, were in English. Well, so. yeah, but at, at the very start of the film, there's like German subtitles with... English subtitles underneath, because there's like some text, or maybe it's even like Spanish subtitles or something. But there's there's like the big yellow subtitles in one language. Well, they're the they're, they're, they're they're the credits. They're the credits. Okay. They're the credits. They're they're like always in the film, no matter what language. You... Have you seen any? Have you seen any films before, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've, I've spent my time reading up on the slave trade, not not watching films. <laughs> okay. that, was, that was my preparation. Good, good um, on you. But uh, no, I thought it was nuts. Um, like the plot sounds really, really good, and the synopsis was good. The way you read it out, thanks. You might be listening to this podcast thinking, "Oh, that sounds interesting," but then you watch the film, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I thought um, the actor was was great. The character was great. Like lots of energy. Um, I loved all of the cinematography and the, the sort of big scenes and you know, felt like they had quite a big budget with some of the um, the locations they used. But two he really million, rushed two million two, scenes. Two, two million dollars was the uh, budget of the film. Uh, remarkably okay. low, actually, for the uh, for the scope of it. But yeah, sorry, go, go on. Quite, quite a lot of money back then, um, or even now. Um, but yeah, it felt like it was really rushed. Like the first sort of half an hour, he just sort of rushed through, right, here's, here's a bandit, um, he's going to this town, he's made friends straight away with the guy that runs the bar there, they get on like a house on fire for one night, and then we never see the guy again, they talk about snow, and then um, the next thing he's holding up some lady in a sedan chair who does a dance and woos him, and then the sugar cane plantation owner takes him in, He's got his three daughters pregnant and then he's off to Africa. And that all felt like it happened within like 20 minutes or so. And it was all a bit like this, then this, then this, then this, without any sort of building and the thread to to link it all together. And then when he gets to Africa, as Chris says, you're kind of waiting for this triumphant return back to Brazil to overthrow the, the plantation, which never happens. And there's all this kind of craziness that keeps developing over there. I thought I thought it was it was nuts. It was, it was, yeah, just re- really really weird. But I'm interested to know what you guys think and if you thought it was equally bonkers as well. Well, yeah, I'd, um, I'd, I definitely, I definitely, I think I was expecting it to be mad. I was expecting an epic, a Wagnerian epic. That's what I was expecting. So I read, I read the the adjective Wagnerian. So Lovely. I was up for that, that's that's like Orwellian or Hucknalian, if you're talking yeah. about Mick, Mick Hucknall. 
Yeah, it and it wasn't. I don't think it was Hook Hook Nerlian. Nor no, Orwellian. it wasn't. Or Orwellian. Was uh, it Wagnerian? I mean, did Wagner. He didn't make films. He was a composer, German What's composer. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. But it is German, like Mike says. He is German. And me, the music of Meatloaf, however, is often described as Wagnerian. Right, okay. So yeah. would you say it's the film embodiment of a of a Meatloaf song? There was no like there was no motorbikes. I listened to Meatloaf this morning, Dead Ringer for Love. Um, objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are um, to get me in the mood for the day for this podcast and I'd say if Meatloaf had appeared in this film I wouldn't have been I would have been shocked but I wouldn't have been surprised yeah no I I, I thought um, Kinski looked a little bit like Meatloaf I I, I really mm. just thought of that now when you said that Chris but I thought he looked a bit like a cross between Eddie Izzard and Willem Dafoe yes, I'd yes. seen him before with yeah, yeah. the soul with the soul or the mind or the energy of meatloaf on coke on cocaine I had to um, I had to look up whether Kinski was the painting in um, Ghostbusters 2 that's true yeah, and 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 that's a good point. Do we know who? Did you find out who that was instead? Uh, I found out that it wasn't Kinski. No, it that's wasn't. But I wonder what actor played the painting in Ghostbusters too. Mm. Um, um, so it was a, it was a Wagnerian yeah. epic, but pleasingly, it was only a hundred and ten minutes or something. So I'm all for epics that are, are only are under. Is that under two hours? You know, around about the two, two hour mark. Yeah. Um, so, and and what w- what you're saying there, Mike, about it being quite sort of rushed in the first half of it, I quite like that because it, you know, there was no there was no flab, was there? It was just it, it 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 kept at a pace that probably few Wagnerian epics do. You know, people are that you talk about it. Are you sticking to the Wagnerian? I'll probably um, drop adjective. it soon. I'll, I'll drop it soon. I'll just say epic. You could dub it. You could dub it in post with, or, or you can say Orwellian, or um, that's not, it's not dystopian. It's not dy- No, it's not German. No. German epic. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I was I was pleased with the pace, but going back to our early conversation. Uh, what did I, did I say? I was pleased with the pace then, or post? Pace. Yeah. Good. Um, I, f- I found it a deeply uncomfortable watch because of all the dynamics at play. What do you mean? Well, you told me about the, the Kinski controversy. Um, mm. I was well aware that it was a, you know, it was a tale about slavery told by a white man. Mm. Um, the, those two were my my feelings throughout, um, and then especially if this guy was going to be the hero as well. But then I think the, the morals of the film are quite quite interesting, aren't they? I, th- I think it's it's meant to be the overriding message is that slavery is bad, which you know I yeah. I agree with. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Um, I just say um, I, yeah. I agree with that too. Can I just say I agree with that, everyone? 
who's listening. Oh, I'm relieved. I'm relieved, actually. Good. I, I, my, yeah, I had a similar feeling to that, Sam, watching it, but it, but my feeling was more like, oh my god, I can't believe we've got to talk about this. Right. In, yeah. In public, so mm. more just personal worries about personal safety and uh, personal s- s- reasons, but uh, um, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you on the, you, you're watching it, and by the middle of it, you're thinking, is it, is it a, a white savior mm. film? He's training up the women to go and over, overthrow the king, and you're like, oh Jesus, this is yeah, that sort of territory. Mm-hmm. But then by the end, that I thought the last third was the most interesting. Because it doesn't go on that Hollywood journey, and Herzog has said that he hates Hollywood storytelling, yeah. and it kind of upends all that. And it, uh, yeah, he, he denounces slavery as bad, but it's just interesting that his character still follows through. With he tries as hard as he can. He he's fighting against everything that he's fighting against himself he's fighting against humanity he's fighting against mm. any sorts of morals he seems to have no reason Jeez. for any anything you didn't get have any idea of his motivation throughout the film mm. i i i what i kind of maybe got from it is that his mother dies at the beginning of the film and it's a, you mentioned Mike, he's talking about snow and he's saying, I just want to reach that place where there's just snow and it's calm and I want to get away from here and I want to go to that quietness, that beautiful place. And that for me represented death. He just wanted to die from that point on. And then, and then he kind of, I, I'm guessing that's a, that's the point the beginning of the film is the point at which he's lost all his love for humanity and then the rest of the, his film is just him doing horrible things to kind of get ahead in life mm. and then i don't know where i'm going with this but i just thought it was interesting that it was a, it was reaching that white savior point but then he but then it be the last third of the film just showed some really interesting like bits of the the warring parties as kind of political things going on the the rituals the 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 culture of west africa and then it just got a bit more abstract and just showed these really strange little scenes like they overthrew the they were going to overthrow the king, but then a snake gets thrown in their path and they can't go past the snake. And then they they finally reach the king's chamber and Kinski's like, let's kill him. And and then the, the tribe that he's with are like, no, the, his wives are going to kill him. That's, that's the way it goes now. They're going to strangle him. And it's just got more kind of a documentary feel around that point. Mm. And obviously Herzog is a great documentary maker and he's very worldly and well-traveled and educated and you and i know from watching him that he's very invested in other cultures he's not just like a complete tourist kind of exploiting them 
So by that point, it was a bit more of a documentary feel, a bit more interesting and less about the the anti-hero's journey. Um, but then it kind of, I did feel like this wasn't a film about, at the end of the day, I don't think it was a film about slavery. I think that was just a backdrop for another one of Herzog's characters being up against everything, yeah. up against nature, up against humanity, just egomaniac characters who try and do things against all odds and utterly fail at them out of stupidity. But do you not think that... Sorry, sorry, go on, Mike. I was just going to say, like, you said he did some horrible things yeah. Cobra Verde, and I'm not sure I can remember him doing that many horrible things. He kind of went Because over... it wasn't presented. It wasn't presented in a moralistic way, but, like, he... Uh, there's There's a bit with the the pit of women and he bring the Brazilian guys over and he says, come choose a woman to yeah, the, the, a pit of women underground. Yeah. And he, and, and he says, choose a woman to take to bed tonight. Uh, he says, I've already had 64. I've already had 64 of them and had 64 children. I've already had 64 children from them. And um, yeah. So there's, there's I, I think that that's and, what, I think that's why yeah. it is about slavery because I think it's presenting um, the green, the green snake as a, the green cobra as a product of his time. So he, he sort of embodies mm. that time where there are no morals and like what you're saying there, Mike. You, you you sort of miss the bad things that he's doing because it everything that happens in uh, it happens in this like atmosphere and environment of of, of no morals whatsoever. Like every everything that he yeah. does is horrendous, pretty much, and the whole system that he exists in is is horrendous. So. I think that's, I think that's why, true. It, why everything was presented is. in this film in a matter of fact way, mm. wasn't it? In a sort of almost almost detached way, and yeah. And I think uh, so. So when I, when I was saying before about like you've been an uncomfortable viewing, then I did watch that um, director's commentary, and like um, Herzog does reference that he says that like, everything in this film takes place in a time. In, in in this time, you know, there's no comment in the film on what's going on. It's more it's more about it's just presenting what was going on at that time, which kind of made it less uncomfortable. If you know what I mean, like a, I'm I'm glad that Herzog knew what he was doing with it in in a way. It was refreshing that there wasn't. I feel like we were watching a well researched. Obviously, it's based on a novel, with, and that was based on a in some part on a real character and on real historical events feel like it was well it was just in kind of refreshing that it just presented slavery as it it it, it represented all the machinery of it and how it all actually worked like mm-hmm. cause we we don't as westerners don't really know much about what happened in africa we'd see it from the other side but it kind of showed what happened and it was what it was warts and all, and it, it showed. And I think I think that has it, been a, done. Showed it in an unmoralistic light because it was kind of just showing this was what it was like. Yeah, and I think that's maybe been done quite a bit since 1987. But I think Herzog was quite, you know, it was quite unprecedented to produce a, a mainstream film that was 
was showing it in all those aspects. So I was just going to like, play devil's advocate a bit, um, not so much about the slavery aspect, the, but more about the, the well, character. The Keanu Reeves film. With, not, uh, with Al Pacino. We're not doing oh, the right. Is that we're not doing the we're camera. Do, we're, we're doing okay. Cobra. It, we're, this week we're doing Cobra Verd. We only um, use the talk at one film ah, at a time. Ah, right. I see what you've done there. Um, I've not seen that anyway. Um, so I can't oh, talk about that's, that. That's fine. That's fine. Um, Go on. But um, okay. yeah, like I guess in in defence of the character, the, the main the main guy Cobra Verde, um, we we don't see him do any of his nasty banditry stuff at the start. We just see all the villagers cowering and oh here comes Cobra Verde, the bandit. Let's all hide, and then he just goes into a bar has a nice chat with the bar owner and they get on really well, like brothers, like best mates. And then when he um, impregnates the, the slave um, plantation owner's daughters, like the plantation owner's presented as a really disgusting person. You see one of his workers get their hand trapped in a mangle and the plantation owner is just like, oh yeah, this, this, this happens, don't worry about it. And Cobra Verde is almost saying, well, you know, can we not do something, can we not help him? And then when he goes after the daughters, he, he doesn't actually pursue them. You, you, you see the slave owner taking one of his like handmaids into a room and basically having his way with her. Um, and the, the slave owner is presented as this repugnant guy. But Cobra Verde, meanwhile, he, he sat outside um, and the three daughters are trying to engage him in conversation. And he's just sat there, not, not interested, you know, keep, keeping his counsel. He walks off, and then one of them pursues him and follows him. So all all, all of those, anyone, anyone kind of listening might think, well, you know, he, he, he must have forced the issue, had his way with them. But you, you don't see that. You don't see, you don't see that happening. When when he goes across to Africa, he, he he's not necessarily going because he wants to establish the slave trade and thinks that's great. Later in the film, he actually says finally something's changing and he, he's pleased that the slave trade's being abolished despite having wasted the last few years trying to establish that and you know, get get it set up. So, you know, I, 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 I agree that there's a bit of... Um, you, know, you, you have to fill in the holes a bit yourself, but just to present that other side, you, you, mm. you don't see a lot of the, the nasty stuff that he supposedly meant to be doing so are you saying that he's presented more as like a a person stuck in certain circumstances of that historical time of that period I, I guess based on the first part of the film you think that what he's going to do is he's been sent over to Africa um, by the slave owner because the slave owner wants him rid of and want, you know, want, wants him to die so you you think well he's going to get his own back he, he's going to take these slaves back over the sea and free them and form his own army with them to overthrow the slave owner and set everyone free and become the hero that, that that's what i thought would happen um obviously that, that didn't happen yeah um yeah. but you, you're very much presented with the the plantation owner being the bad guy trying to Double cross Cobra Verde. Yeah. So what you're saying is they presented 
Apologies for any crying children in the background, listeners. No worries, no worries. So what you're saying is the director chose to just not show more of the bad stuff about the main character, whereas he was happy to show it with the plantation owner. I felt in general there wasn't masses of character development for the for the main the main guy. Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe that's part of what what we're all saying that he's just thrown into these circumstances and he's trying to find his way as best he can. In, he doesn't have any morals. Perhaps that's the point. You know, he's he's trying to get to this place of snow, this place of peace, and he's in this horrific situation where um, life is brutal and tough, and he just does what he needs to. Maybe maybe, maybe that's the the point. Yeah, well, I don't know if you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, Mike, but um, we, I have. I'm a big fan. It, it um it actually suffered from what we've described as um production pressures in the in the in the first weeks uh we had to um we had to go to a year that neither of us was born to start the podcast and that was because of production pressures and i think production pressures maybe explain some of uh, herzog's uh issues here and, and and what what you're talking about there i think that character development so the the, the film was filmed the the first bit was, the first filming was in Africa and then the, the first bit of the film was filmed last if if that makes sense so that period where he would have developed the character of the green cobra uh, that was filmed last and that was when um, Klaus Kinski was at his most unwork unworkable with um, so it potentially I, I mean I, I'm I'm kind of surmising here but maybe that I, I have and I haven't read the book. Maybe there was more character development to be done, um, but he said that he was just, at that point he was just too difficult to work with, so they had to sort of film it in a certain way. Like there's a very sort of western feel, isn't there, to the to the first bit of the film and mm-hmm. long shots of uh, Kinski and not apart from the the scene with the the guy in the bar. There's not a great deal of dialogue, um, so maybe like mine and Chris's podcast, it was. Uh, it was a victim of uh, production production pressures, and that's why, like Chris's character in this podcast, hasn't really been developed. Like people will probably see him as a kind of uh, you know bandit of the Sertau in a way. Bandit. Well, I mean, you say production pressures, but last week we got to the bottom of it, and it was actually an editorial choice that you decided not to start on the year of my birth. Yeah, well, we don't need we, to go we, into that. We don't need to go into that again. And and to call me a bandit, I mean, I, I'm, I'm no, I'm not. I may, I may be a countercultural figure for a lot of people. Barry Chuckle, but, mm. pardon, Barry Chuckle. Yeah, exactly. Very but, much a twentieth-century uh, bandit in my in my eyes, Barry Barry Chuckle. So, I mean, yeah. a bandit, a bandit kills people, and I've I've, I've done many things, but. I've never taken a life. The the bandits, the band. I don't think they killed anyone. No, they probably they probably haven't. Um, yeah, I Good think band. maybe lack of character development was. Yeah, I think it's as you say, Klaus Kinski wasn't playing ball, which he never seemed to, and also maybe Herzog was relying a bit on the gravitas that that actor brings his kind of ability to just stand there with his hands in his pockets on screen, like snarling at people, but still have 
something watchable about about him. Listen, that, this was an epic film, and uh, this is in danger of turning into an epic episode of midlife film catch-up. So what I'm going to suggest now is that we each um, put forward our two favourite moments in the film. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. My two favourite moments were they walked into the castle, and there were loads of crabs on the floor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Herzog... I believe it's Herzog is afraid of crabs. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and I love that. And I, the second bit I loved was when a goat takes commun- communion. They give a communion go for uh, a communion wafer to a goat, not a communion yes. gopher to a wafer. <laughs> they give a wafer to a goat, and the goat takes communion. And my third favorite th- thing is that this was called a PG certificate and it was one of the most really violent films ever in some ways bit of nudity as well yeah 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 um go on go on uh mike what's your two two or or three apparently so uh, yeah um i noticed he snuck an extra one in there so I, i i thought when he got to the um the coast of africa and he made land and there's this deserted old colonial fort and um, it was really run down and dilapidated. And he just had a, a chat with the king's emissary. And then the next thing, the next morning, seemingly hundreds upon hundreds of the, the king's uh, men, all of these natives turned up uh, with ladders and buckets and spades and just started getting to work on fixing up the castle. And it was like an episode of DIY SOS or something. <laughs> I just thought it was <laughs> it was bizarre. I mean, yeah. speaking of like Barry Chuckle and how, how grimy is your house and all that, it was like one of those things, the doing it up and you think, oh, is this going to be like a makeover bit? So happy the, music the, those, those two cleaning ladies? Is that yeah, exactly. how clean is your house? Yeah, exactly. Right, sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. So that, that bit was just... That, that, was, that was a visually amazing bit, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. There, there were a few visually amazing bits, actually. Um, he'd really gone to town with all of the extras, so that was great. Mm. And then the other bit that just made me chuckle was when um, the king turned against him and again he sent his emissary to to do his dirty work and basically said right um, the, the, the king the king wants to see you come to the the king's palace now and he made up some really lame excuse he said oh I, I can't because I've got to keep one foot in the sea the whole time which I guess was not meant to be literal but then they literally did put his foot into a bucket of seawater so that I, they could take I, him. I'm so glad you explained that. I had no idea why they tied a bucket around his foot. <laughs> it was bizarre. It was wow. strange. But the, the, That's great. The, the, mm. bit, the, bit that, the bit that made me chuckle was when he, he wasn't going to come with them. And they said, seize him. And then these four henchmen 
rather than seizing, they just surrounded him and started dancing. And he just thought, what's going on? Um, so that bit just made me laugh. Um, and I, I, am I allowed to choose three or is it, or is it two? No, if you got three, go on. I might just have one myself. So, so, so well, to, to, to balance it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, it, we've got um, what's three plus three so plus one is seven? Three. Yeah, should have none. Okay. Is, well, Mike, Mike, is seven? I'll do a half. Is seven a Fibonacci number? Uh, one plus two is three. Mm-hmm. Three plus three is six. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Do you not add the two? You add the two numbers. preceding ones. Um, or if you start with naught, it'd be naught plus one is one, one plus one is two. Okay. No, I don't think so. I have okay. to, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a while. Do you want to ex- List- just, just quickly explain listen- what a Fibonacci, Fibonacci number listeners, is? Li- listeners, please write in. if you know. Go on, Mike. Well, I, th- I think no. it's when um, it's a sequence and the next number in the sequence is the sum of the two preceding numbers. Um and I'm guessing it starts at zero. Um, I guess it could start anywhere potentially and still be Fibonacci sequence. But I thought that's what it was. And you then see it in nature occurring, like when uh, when trees grow or plants grow, and they send out twigs. They branch and branch and branch, and you see that the sum of the the latest set of branches is a Fibonacci sequence based on the sum of the previous ones, or something like oh, that. Wow. Um, is that fact or is that speculation, uh, new age speculation? Well, I think like a lot of maths, um, you know, maths is obviously a structure that we apply to give sense to the world around us and branch it off into all the sciences. And I think that um, people have noticed that this sequence does in fact occur a lot in nature. So I believe it's fact, but if you ask me to back it up with some cold, hard stats, I'd struggle to justify that right now. You put me on the spot um, a bit, to be honest, with this whole... I know I've got a maths background, but I wasn't this expecting... Is, this is why I mean, you're on, on the podcast, really, Mike. Yeah, we Thanks. need you to look at some of our analytics from previous episodes, because um, Sam has told me that we have one listener in Belgium. Uh-huh. Four, four he, in he, Belgium. For, he he refers to them as the Flemish listeners, right? And this morning he told me we have one listener in France, France, and I got bon- just bon- a suspicion. Just just a minute, Chris. Uh, bon- yeah. Bonjour. Just to... oh, yeah, just to make him feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Do you know any Flemish? Uh, sometimes in Belgium they speak French, so I'll just say bonjour, but with a slightly different accent. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I. That was a good, the way you changed the accent slightly. Yeah. Um, I'd say that with our Flemish listeners and our French listener, you think it's that we're get, reaching people internationally, but I I suspect it's a friend of ours called Mike Dolman, and he's using a VPN to mask his IP address because he's kind of, I kind of just imagine him as a VPN guy, you know. Mm-hmm. He's probably someone who likes to watch the latest films, uh, you know, Streaming, uh, well, without yeah. paying. That's not, you know, that is that is such that's slander. That's, yeah, that's, that's such slander and libel. I'm sorry, Mike. Speak, speaking of slander and libel, were those allegations against Klaus Kinski ever proven, Chris? Or um, they were? To caveat that, uh, I, I'm going to caveat it for legal reasons by saying they were allegations, 
by his youngest daughter in written in a book uh and his eldest daughter said that whilst he didn't rape her he often touched her in sexual ways as she was okay. growing up okay. so i'm going to say that as a person I, I i totally believe those allegations and i appreciate we're getting off the off the the topic which was Fibonacci i mean numbers, i'm i'm so. going to say 0 uh-huh. 1 Two, yeah, three, yeah, five, yes, nine. Are they Fibonacci? Did you go from three to five to nine? Zero, yeah, one, yeah, two, maybe three. It's maybe, maybe it's one again. Maybe it's zero, one, one, zero, one. This one, is this two, is good stuff, guys. Three, five, nine. Good three stuff. plus five isn't nine, though. Oh, but is it the one? Is it the number from the sequence that you add to it, or yeah. is it the number before five, which is four? No, no, the, the former. The, the, okay, so yeah. so this is this is gold, one. by the way, Sam. I think um, I think my favorite um, two, moment in the film three was probably five when they go five, into the eight. fortress. They go into the fortress and there's the bats, eight. then the crabs. Well, that's been covered by you, Chris. I really, I thought the um, the nuns' choir was brilliant. That was incredible. Well, the um, nudity bit. No, no, I knew someone would say that. No, no, just the well, the sheer the 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 musicality of it. I thought it was incredible. The, the nuns' choir at the end over the credits. Yeah, well, they're in the earlier on as well, weren't they? She maintained a, such a lovely smile throughout about three minutes of singing exactly the same melody. And I thought she's really in, into this song, even though it's the same line again and again. It was, yeah, it was yeah. nice. Yeah. I, I watched that bit and just thinking that this is definitely where the singer, the modern day singer, Aldous, Aldous Harding has taken her performance style from. Like it wouldn't surprise me if she saw this film and said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Interesting. When I sing. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. An- another bit of, uh, speculation so uh, overall we haven't really said whether we enjoyed the film or not ratings just a thumbs up or a thumbs down i think we'll do pardon okay. i mean i mean listeners oh. can't see no listeners well, yeah. can't see that i mean That's... to to go from someone who doesn't like numerical ratings to a binary choice of thumbs up or thumbs down i'm i'm shocked but i'm not but i'm not surprised well, I don't like numerical ratings, but I do like um, timekeeping. You do like, and you do like Emperor Nero. Yes, deciding the fate of of, of slaves. You're a slave. Yeah. I'm not going to say you're a slave driver or a slave trader. Good, but you are asking us to do thumbs up or thumbs down, like Emperor Nero would have done. So, Chris, so Mike's done a a thumbs down for this film. Um, seeing as I'm um, being backed into a binary corner there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. Qualified by, by that, um, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Really? Okay, I'm going to say cinematography. Thumbs nine up. out of ten. Nine out of ten. Yeah. I'm going to say what a new ca- the category I developed last week called production value for money. That was the week before, I think. Week before, which is a combination of production value and value for money. I I got this film for free on a BFI player two week trial. 
value for money, I'm going to say I give that five out of five. And that is also because, as Mike said at the beginning, this is a bonkers film. It's crackers. And that's what I want to see in films. I, I'm kind of just mm. like sick of sick of the Hollywood journey, the Hollywood story. If, so, um, so far it's... Anything, anything that's bonkers but still keeps me interested without being too art house is what I really like. So nine out of ten for um, production. Story. Four out story, of five. Story seven out of ten. That's story ten. seven out of ten. Because That's it's not ten. the most engaging story, but it's um but I like the way it went off piste in the third act. That's pu- that's pure Herzog. So I you think. two sound quite positive about it. I'm yeah. glad I saw it. Uh, I watched it with uncomf- a lot of uncomfortable feelings. Um, mm. I think it's, um, you know, it's a difficult film. It's about slavery, as Sam said, made by white people. The main, the protagonist is white character, but I think it's not a bad film. Some sometimes when I don't want to be too when I have liked a film but I don't want to be too effusive, I, I say this. I say. Worth a watch. What's that? Can you say that again? I just say, worth a watch. So it, what, it's, one more time. One more time. What? Uh, you know, if if I don't want to be too sort film. of fawning over it and don't want to recommend it too strongly, but what I will say is I'll say worth a watch. That worth could be this a, week's catchphrase. It's quite worth, catchy. Worth, yeah, worth a watch. Did you say? Mm, yeah, like, yeah. Not not a timekeeping. Not a, right, I'm not going back to sorry. timekeeping. Thought, I thought um, you meant, you know, H. Samuel sort of but, thing. But to go back to timekeeping, I think maybe we should move on to the year 1987 in the lives of the Jenkins family. Nicely done, Sam. Hmm. Nicely okay. done. I thought, I thought you might use that segu there. Uh, I think it's pronounced we, we, segue. Well, with Mike doing the original West Pronounce, African version. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think uh, Sam's thinking. You're thinking of those two-wheeled stand <laughs> standard riders, aren't you? Yeah, cool. That, that's what a Segway is. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's confusing, motorized. It? Sam, you've forgotten our our other most important question. What would you have done as the main characters in this film? Uh, can I say um, abolish slavery? <laughs> you could go in there. It's quite a big. Quite a big objective. Do you think he could have done that single-handedly? Uh, I think I, I could have. As, as I, I thought... Oh, excuse me. <laughs> high pitch there. I think having my brother on is... I'm maybe reverting back to my teenage self. Oh, I thought what happened? I missed t- that. Testicles would rise and fall. Oh, okay. Um, That's my favourite think... bit of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it in. Um... Just for the uh, listener's benefit, he is fully clothed, at least from the top up. Yeah, from, it's from the top up. Exactly. Um, I'd say, to say you'd abolish slavery, Sam, whilst that's in line maybe with your punk values, uh, what about your company, company man values? You, you kind of would have improved slavery. And would you expect... Yeah people to put up a statue of you if you'd succeeded in abolishing slavery? Um, so to Mike's question, no. To Chris's question, 
um i think i think just by investing in uh the homie that that would have been to, the, yeah to <laughs> <laughs> No matter how you say it, it sounds like we're saying something racist about about black I'm gonna, people. I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna cut that out. No, don't, 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 don't. Um, yeah. So I mean, you, you, you're in a quandary, Sam, because either you, you follow your heart, your production, your your company man values, and improve the economic situation of slavery. Or you, or you, you, you follow your punk spirit. Uh, no, I think there's a, I think there's a, a, mid, a middle ground where um, everyone wins. <laughs> okay, maybe this bit might need to be cut. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I, I, go on. I'm happy to move on to uh, 1987. No, no. I, I, me and Mike have got to say our bits on this question. Okay, Mike, have you thought about this one, I'll, Mike? I'll, I'll, I'll be quick then. I've got a minute. So, I, w- I would have got a pair of shoes. He didn't have any shoes on throughout <laughs> the whole film. So, that would have been quite hard, hard going. I would have stayed in that pub a bit longer at the start because he seemed to get on quite well with that guy. Good choice. Um, and then when I was... I probably wouldn't have accepted the slave owner's offer to come with, well, maybe the plantation thing, get a bit of money in the bank. Um, and then if I was sent over to Africa, I think I would have hatched some kind of escape plan um, because that was clearly a one-way ticket to failure. He was you know, being set up to fail. And, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I would have gone down that route if I was him. I'd, yeah. I'm not sure I could have quite reached your lofty ambitions of abolishing slavery, though, Sam. That's quite a Order for someone no, yeah, some people wouldn't be able to, but don't worry, I won't worry about that too much. Thanks. That, that's aftercare. Yeah, just give me three three rings. Um, Chris, Chris, what what would you have done if you were the protagonist? If I was the if I was Cobra Verd, the Green uh, Snake in this film, Francisco mm-hmm. de Silva. Um, would you have done like a touristy tour of South America that's a good idea I hadn't thought of that Um, yeah I'd probably taken some of the sites of what is now modern day Benin is that how you pronounce it Benin Benin. is that what it was yeah that's where the kingdom of Dahomey that's what it used to be ah right I thought you meant South America okay gotcha and um, in West Africa, and yeah, and I would have, yeah, I might have done that. But what I, what kind of struck me was that beautiful Alima Castle. Um, I would have, as you said, Mike. A lot of the West Africans arrived on ladders and started painting it. I would have continued that, and would have got someone in to get rid of the crabs and the bats. Uh, and you know, made a bed and breakfast of it. Something if it was you know, modern uh, day, you you plan, you'd planning have some restrictions sort of with the bats. Pardon? Like, That's interesting. Pl- pl- planning restrictions with the bats might might yeah. be stricter yeah. in the uh, yeah. homey rather than uh, quite strict in the UK. Mm. Very true. Bats do stop halt a lot of building works, don't they? 
maybe that crabs I... do in Dahomey as well. You know, they might have similar rules for uh, for crabs. Correct. So I, that's that's a good point. So I'd get someone in to do a survey on a crabs, b bats, and c Japanese knotweed, which is a plant. If that plant is growing in your house, mm-hmm. you're legally obliged to put it to tell the the person who's buying the house from you about it because it's a very invasive. Uh, it's like Bodleia, but but much worse. Very invasive right. plant. So I do a survey for that. I'd paint it. I'd probably get some sign in the bathroom. I'd put up like, I'd put up a sign in the hall, like saying sort of something like "keep calm and carry on," mm-hmm. and then in the bathroom, I'd have I'd have a sign that says "bathe" in kind of carved wood, mm, and then in, we've, we've in the living space. Pardon, we've got one of those. Exactly, I, th- I think that's where I got it from. Mm-hmm. And then in the living room, I'd have "live, laugh, love." Live, laugh, love. You're just describing my house. Have you got one of them? Yeah. You don't. We do. We do. Not not my choice, by the way. I, okay. I, I hate the, I hate those things. It's like instructions on what to do. Instructions Maybe. on how to live. Oh God, Sam's got one. Sam's got one too. Jesus. This I mean, is, I'm uh, not live, the, live life. the life you love. I mean, that's why I'd get it. I've got I've got a slogan in my house as well. The, the, what's, you know, what's that? Uh, I wanna. Laugh with you for the rest of my life in a heart. Right. Okay. Why? Why in a heart? Oh, the slogan doesn't say. Um, <laughs> no, no. It's in a in a picture of a heart. So I, I, yeah, I'd get some slogans in. Yeah. I'd put in. I'd put in a heated towel rail. They're yeah. always a nice touch. Copper. Light fitting, probably probably unnecessary in in West Africa, yeah. maybe. Heated yeah, towel, yeah. Okay. Well, it's humid, isn't it? Well, yeah. Um, and just kind of rent it out. Um, try and get Airbnb. It on it. Airbnb, exactly, or Booking dot com. Okay, all right. Well, we, yeah, I think we're all on the same page with with that. Um, yeah. Can we now move on to? Um, you, you left us on tenter hooks last week. Uh, it was uh, life in uh, for the Jenkins family. Uh, you two, along with your mum, had moved in with your uncle Frank and auntie Dot. I'd love to know, Mike, what's your memories of uh, that time? Yeah, um, it was uh, a big time, as Chris alluded to last week um uncle frank and auntie dot's house was called craiglands and i had a friend called craig graham and Amazing. whenever he whenever he came around he always got really excited um because he you saw would. the name painted on the yeah yeah definitely um and uh i was in the second year of school at merchant taylor's i was in mr youngson's class um and i was enjoying that and then I was suddenly struck down by by an illness, and I was uh, off school for what felt like months, but it was probably um, about four weeks, I suppose. Mm. Um, it was um, pneumonia, wow. and uh, I uh, had to get physiotherapy. I'm not sure why. I assume it was to like move the fluid off my chest or something, because I wasn't so mobile. Can I just wow. stop you? 
my is this true? Yeah, I've got the letters to prove it. Whoa. Because I mean, um shouldn't have to shouldn't have to prove it, Mike. Well, but to I'm, be fair, the letters aren't from a medical practitioner. They're from my twenty or so classmates who all wrote me little get well soon oh. letters and I've got each and every one. Um well I'm not sure I got one from Yasin Jane. Um Interesting. Follow it up. Follow it up. Maybe, maybe mm. he's listening. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that was nice. Nice touch. Does, a lot of them. does he live in Belgium or France? I don't know. Maybe or America. Is, have we've we got, got an American? Got, yeah, we've got a few Americans on board. Um, H- Howdy, just, yeah. for, just Howdy. for their benefit. Carry on, Mike. Um, yeah, and so I remember I was lying on Uncle Frank's. Shes long, reading these. Go on, Chris. Yeah, well, I was, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, is that why Uncle Frank used to put you on his knee on that chaise long and hit the, your chest and your back, tap your chest and back? I remember him doing I that. I don't remember that. That might be a suppressed memory. Yeah, yeah, he used he definitely used to do that, and he used to say that it, and I used to think it was to help you with your asthma, but I bet I bet it was around that time. Yeah, maybe that is that is shining a torch into some dark recesses of my memory now. Um, but I'm not sure if I'm just imagining it or if it actually happened. Um, I think he was clothed, so it was all above board. If yes. so, yeah, um, yeah. guilty of many give, things. But just give me three rings. Just give me three rings at the at the end of this. I'm I'm free all afternoon. Thanks. Okay. I've not got your number. Um, I'll, I'll text I'll, you. I'll, yeah. Okay, um, but if, okay, uh, yeah. So I got I got better from pneumonia, as as you can tell. So what came first? In, you just I'm a I'm a big I'm an asthma I'm an asthma guy. So what what came first in pneumonia or the asthma? I, I was diagnosed with asthma oh. um, in in Paris, actually. Wow! Oh, con- continental. Very fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are, I, I, are, you, I, are you bragging? Are you bragging? I call it the asthma. Where, Lasma, La- you would say. Lasma. Or, or yeah, asthma, yeah. No, Having a little l- slight dig at the quality of French air. Well, uh, you know, the the um, the diagnosis speaks for itself, doesn't it? Of, of course, in France, oui. they, would call it, they would call it l'air, not, not air. Mm-hmm. L'air. Kind of, they have to have, you know, one better than us. Um, the the air is just, better. We might have just, yeah, lost our French listener now. Or we might do if we carry on in this vein. I mean, I mean, it's so many questions. Or, or why were you in? Why were you in Paris? Um, diagnosed for asthma. Well, it was a, it was a family holiday, and um, I had a what would what became apparent it was a, an asthma attack, Ooh. and ah. they were like merde. Um yeah. I don't know how you say the rest of it, but they probably said yeah. merde asthma. I thought That's perhaps you'd been sent to a specialist treatment clinic abroad. I, I don't know your background, Sam. I, th- I thought perhaps there's a bit of money involved or something. Sorry. No, I mean we had the money that, to go to Paris. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't. I I doubt if you'd gone to see a doctor in Paris that his reaction would be to say "mad." Like it would be like you being in hospital in England with a, a fractured leg, and the doctor going "shit." Like surprised at everything. Well, I don't know is, if you is watch. Is that a good quality for a doctor to have to be surprised at every 
illness that comes into their workplace. Well, if it's a if it was a French person in a English hospital with a broken leg, you don't know, do you? It, then who would say it? Then the English doctor would say, you know, the the S word as as a joke to break the ice. Oh, Maybe, or yeah. say mad, or say mad to show, to make a joke. No, well, you know, it's all conjecture, isn't it? But what yeah. what came first for you, for you, Mike, the uh, pneumonia or asthma? Um, I think it was probably the pneumonia. Now that you now that you say, no one's ever asked me that before, because uh, at the time, I think I just started playing rugby the year or so before, and. Um, I'd never obviously done that. Um, well, hence I just started, as I said, mm-hmm. um, and I was a prop because I was very short for my age mm-hmm. then. Uh, not 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 fat, but nope. uh, short, and a, a utility player, some might say. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd never had any problems with exercise and catching my breath and that. And then catching a the ball, catching a ball was reasonable at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, apropos nothing, this pneumonia struck, and maybe maybe that's what led to the asthma, or maybe it's just a, a link with having bad lungs or something, I don't know. But yeah. there's a happy ending to this, though. Go on. Um, and seeing as I'm a guest, I might not be able to reveal this in subsequent weeks, um, that I've grown out of my asthma to a oh, large that. extent. And the only time I really get it back now is either if it's very cold air, or from playing on, you know, those five-a-side pitches where they use ground-up bits of old tyre. Oh, yeah. And, like, that that's releases some kind of fumes. And this all, like, documented on the internet, this this stuff. Not not, not by me, but, like, other people have had similar issues and there's been studies and stuff. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, and, and it's, quite, it's quite bad. For the listeners, Mike now does jiu-jitsu three or four times a week. Wow. Yeah, yeah, four at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Yeah, shout out. Shout out! Shout out! What's what's your um, sensei called? Uh, Dav. Shout! Do you want to do a shout out to Dav? Um, yeah, shout out to Dav for being a great. I don't even know. I think he calls himself a coach. So, mm. Coach Dav, and all the crew at Checkmat, uh, thank you for making me feel very welcome and regularly beating me up. So, Dav would probably watch Cobra Kai, but not. Cobra Verde, which is well, say? I very nearly fell into that trap. Yeah, well, you would do because of your G- because of your jiu-jitsu, wouldn't you? But also a tendency not to listen when I'm told what the film is. Right. Okay. And w- was that a pattern in yours and Chris's childhood? Would you not really listen to each other very well? Well, we used to fight, didn't we, Chris? Yeah. And listening was probably a bit of a, an issue. Maybe that was part of it. Um, Mike. Mike threw a spade at me. I knew you'd bring that up. And I threw but 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 before that I'd thrown scissors at his face. Whoa. And he put up his watch and it cracked the watch. Back um, to watches. They weren't, they weren't metal timekeeping. Yeah, what was your phrase? One to watch um, for watches. What, what, um, worth watch. worth a watch. Worth a watch. So I mean that was yeah, worth worth the watch. Um, that was a watch it, yeah, of worth. A watch of worth. It was um, plastic scissors. They were like they were pink, 
I, but I, but they were open. I had them open. Whoa! I, and I and I kind of flung them like, and they kind of accelerated like almost like a ninja star. I didn't have a lot of time to react, Sam. Just for context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so are you bragging? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you think out of the two of you, Chris is more like um, the green the green snake? He sounds like a very kind of. Uh, it was more of a kind of an injury type thing, I would say, rather than a bandit type thing, like like a throwing right. star. For like improvising with scissors instead of no, well, if you run out of throwing stars, you might pink scissors or something. Yeah, pink. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you are you asking are you asking whether I'm a bit a bit more of a snake there with that question? Well, more back to the the bandit characterization, really. Right, 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 trying to trying to add to the evidence file for uh, okay. you as a bandit, but I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I should pull on that thread. It was um, a violent upbringing, though, Chris. Was it? I think no, not at all. No, there was the wooden spoon occasionally, mm-hmm. um, but that was more of a threat. Rather, I don't remember that ever being used. And was this Frank and Dot with a wooden no, spoon? I th- no, I think it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't going. But it wasn't you. I don't really remember it being used. It wasn't a violent upbringing. The only violence probably came from me, uh, and 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 or Mike if I provoked him. So yeah. have you got um, a, a a standout happy memory from this time, Mike? Me? Um, no, not really. Well, um, it, it it was it was uh, Auntie Dot and Uncle Frank's house was a very welcoming place and um in my they, they, we're, we're lucky they're, they're quite a big house so taking us in we we're able to have our own bedrooms mm. and um they let me um stick a sticker on my bedroom door and it was made out of varnished wood the, wood, the door not the sticker and it said this belongs to michael um and uh i was really pleased that they let, this doesn't sound like a great happy memory but it meant a lot to me no, that's, you know, that's really nice. Being evicted from my childhood house, you know, and all that kind of emotional baggage mm. that brings to have a place I could call my own was was great. Um, although they never removed the sticker from the door because they were worried that it would peel off the varnish after. So that's probably still there to to this day, I imagine. I, I um, thought you were going to say that was the happiest bit about it—the fact that that sticker stayed there for like all all, all, our, all their lives. Yeah, I mean, oh, I remember right. Uncle Frank was quite cross about it, <laughs> uh, and he wouldn't let me um, go into the Jag in a, in a Jaguar car mm. um, of course. because he thought I hadn't washed my hands, even though I had. But he wanted me to do it again. Mm. Um, I had a yeah. um, I had a similar reputation when I was at, at that age, at leaving um, sticky marks on banisters. I I, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> was this when you were bunking off school? <laughs> what? Why would your hands? Why would your hands? Why would your hands be sticky? Were, were, were you like that kid from the the squid and the whale? Um, no, this was um, at my friend James Cundall's house. Uh, Jimmy Cundall, yeah. Yeah, I'd often get um I'd often get accused of um leaving marks on the on the banisters. Do you think it was compulsive behaviour? 
because of some trauma, trauma or something. Uh, I, I, no, I think maybe we we went to the shop and bought um, pick uh, not pick and mix like bags of you know when you used to order sweets by the weight. Oh and, yeah, um, and I would can. always. Were you a, a, qu- a quarter man or a two ounces? Yeah, I'd, I'd get a, me and Jimmy would each get a quarter. He would always get. Um, well, <laughs> hopefully we'll get Jimmy on. And he'll, uh, he'll he'll tell he'll he'll say. But malt crumb was his uh, is what he got. I can't remember Pardon? what I got. What's malt crumb? Listen, I don't Nine. want to tell Jimmy's story for him. Let's 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 leave that for another week. But um, whatever what I was eating. I, I can't, your... I'm trying to think now. I think what I, what were those things that were like, Rosie they had like pink Bullseyes. dust on them. Pink dust. Cola cubes. Um, oh, bonbons. Bonbons, yes, 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 yes. I'd always get nice. the bonbons. Strawberry flavour, obviously. Y- yes, yeah. Um, so people always knew where Sam Turner had been because there were sticky marks everywhere. With yeah. pink dust on them. Bit of a telltale sign, really. Yeah. Mm. Like, if you're going for white bonbons, actually, they'd be quite obvious too. Unless it's a white banister. Well, I mean, I wasn't going up any stairs that I didn't want people to know that I'd been up. That's what they, they always said about me. Why? Why are you saying that? Well, because Mike was suggesting that I was trying to hide my whereabouts, um, like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah, it's, but, you know, it's back to bandit behaviour, isn't it? Yeah, so you're now telling us that you were never on stairs that you weren't meant to be on. Nope. Did you live in a bungalow, Sam? Yes. Uh, so that probably so, explains this tendency to you could yeah. hold yourself back when you went to other people's houses. So my yeah, yeah. I suppose my sticky yeah. hands wasn't really an issue at my own house. So then I, I came unstuck when I was presented with the ah. stairs and the and banisters. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So you so. Soon as he got into someone else's house, it was straight onto the stairs and touching the banisters. Yeah, well, it's more out of necessity. The the toilet at um, the Kundal's house was was upstairs. Right. I mean, what about what about Norm's house? Where was the toilet in his house? Up uh, upstairs. He once blew it up with a uh, cherry bomb. Really? Mm. Much like. Klaus Kinski destroying a bathroom when he lived with Werner Herzog. Which is describe... allegedly. <laughs> no, this was from the mouth of Herzog. So, Sam, would you describe Norm as Kinski and you as Herzog? Oh, it's an interesting question. Um, my beautiful fiend. My best fiend. My best fiend. Who was my best fiend is basically what you're asking, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, Norm had a reputation. He was, he was banned from... Most houses in the village for disrupt just behavior that he to this day maintains was un- un- unfairly attributed to him. Mm. Wow! And and these days, he's I can I can a, a few in, a few instances he um, broke a wardrobe. He broke Colin Greaves's wrestling ring. Um, uh, life size or WWF. It was yeah, one of those miniature WWF wrestling yeah. rings. Mm-hmm. Did you? So, but back to you guys. Did did you watch wrestling? Yeah. Oh, this is a yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure Michael remember. Yeah. So we took. So by 1987, we had. Is it 1987, Sam? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So we we only stayed in Auntie Dot and Uncle Frank's house for three or four months. We moved into 
more so close. And well, we also stayed at Grandpa's. Did we? Norman's Park for a bit in West Derby. Oh right, okay. Briefly, wow. I think. Got some really good memories there. The yeah, so a memory from Almond's Park in West Derby is that to bring it back to boiled sweets, I choked on a rosy apple sweet and um and and it got lodged in my throat and I actually probably would have died if Mike hadn't been there and he slammed my back repeatedly until the rosy apple came out and smashed don't, on don't remember that. the slab and saved my life. Wow. And I've, I wrote a poem about that last year that I could perhaps read at the end of the podcast. Brilliant. I wasn't that I wasn't intending to, but that brought up that memory once Mike said we lived there. Do you um, know about the poem? No, you know? it, it's, it's just it's strange that Chris has mentioned two backslapping yeah, incidents from that. 1987, now that both of which I've suppressed. I wonder if there might be a, a link yeah. there. Well, 87 was a year of the backslap, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, the craze sweeping the nation. Everyone yeah. wanted one for Christmas. That was that was tango. That was. A... Yeah, so we had that in Almond's Park, West Derby. Then we moved into Moorside Close. You asked us if we liked wrestling, Sam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me and Mike took apart the bunk bed in Mike's room so that the two single bunks were next to each other. Then we took our belts off from our dressing gowns and tied them to the posts of and uh, maybe a scarf or something to make up the rest of it to round the posts of these bunk beds and made a wrestling ring and we played wrestling in there for days, hours. Slap each other's back. Slap each other's backs. So was this um, during the golden age of the WWF? Did you both take on WWF characters? Uh, I I I had the toys. I I, I, I want to say, Chris, um, that I think think there was a bit of a a seed that was planted a few years before and Mm. I don't know if it was called something like WCW or whatever it was, but it was the sort of Saturday, Sunday morning uh, wrestling with Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy, yeah. whatever that was, Yeah. Um, which which preceded WWF. Right, okay, yeah. When it right. became a bit more, I want to say professional. Commercial. But, uh, 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 yeah, commercial. I don't want to offend Big Daddy, Shirley, Big Daddy. Crabtree. God rest In case he's listening. I think he's dead. Mm. All right. Uh, but I, well, that's that's true because I I was really into WWF, and I remember as a kid, Mike would keep mentioning Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy. Yeah, I, I I it, like was, it, it was very important to Mike that we remembered the heritage of it. Good, good. So, would you but, say that Mike... I liked? I, I liked Ultimate. I was a. I, I guess it shows how boring I am that I liked Ultimate Warrior, who's kind of like the All American hero but also i did love undertaker and macho man randy savage yeah yeah uh i was talking about that website before uh youtube i don't know if you've come what across that uh, you, youtube just why are you write that down tube t-u-b-e yeah that's got a lot of um good um documentaries about the golden age of uh, wrestling on you, you um, mean Big Daddy or you mean WWF? Sorry, I, I'd describe you know the mid mid nineties as uh, the golden age of the of the WWF. 
of, of, of wrestling. How how do you feel about that, Mike? Well, oh, I, I, just, I seem to remember. Was your favourite wrestler not Brett the Hitman Hart, Chris? No, no, definitely not. not. Definitely not. Wrestling with well, Shadows. That, that's a uh, what? that's the Brett the Hitman Hart uh, documentary. Wrestling with Shadows. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, it might have been Mike. It might have been, but he's just not as distinct in my memory. I thought it was him, or briefly Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, I did like Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, and Legion, uh, of Do- Legion of Doom. Who was that guy that had the big long plank of wood? Oh, what's his name? Oh, um, two by good, four. Yeah, yeah smack, that's a good smack question. The referee wasn't looking. Yeah, he was gra- they were grasping um, at straws with the plank guy. Yeah. <sighs> no, if anyone doesn't know, do um, write into us uh, film catch up at Google dot com. No, gmail.com. At gmail.com or yeah, yeah. Instagram comments. Was he called Instagram No, it wasn't The Plank. No, it, it might wasn't. be. It wasn't the there's, there's a film called The Plank with Tommy Cooper and another comedian. Yeah. But this has been this has been a really good insight into uh, into 1987. Uh, is, is there any standout moments for that particular year for you, you both that you haven't mentioned? Yeah, so we moved into Moorside Close and... And... And there was a neighbour opposite with a red fiesta called Dennis. And like, it was like really funny because he, he, he had real trouble reversing out of his drive. And it was the loudest car ever. And he used to rev it so much. And it, me and Mike would just, I, this is how I remember it. Me and Mike would just go to the window to watch it because he'd just be, it would take him like five full minutes to reverse out this very small driveway off the pavement, revving it hard. That was a very 90s thing, wasn't it? Um, awkward driveways. Yeah. Well, it was a really simple, 80s, easy... Eight, sorry, 80s. Re- it was a really simple, easy driveway. But Dennis struggled. Did you, do you remember Dennis, Mike? I, yeah, but not, not to the same extent as Chris. I remember Chris on that. An earlier episode mentioned um, Mr. Taylor, one of our other neighbours. So he seems to have a lot more memories um, than I do about his childhood. Or so maybe he's just better researched. I don't know. Um, so it's quite it's quite good to hear um, mm. Chris Chris's angle on these things. Maybe we should talk more, Chris. Yeah, yeah, we should. Apart from on 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 podcasts. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what each of us remembers, isn't it? Well, yeah. I also, taking that cue, Sam, another highlight for me, I remember on returning to school, Jeffrey Johnston um, was reading book number two in the Famous Five series, and he asked, can anyone remember the, the registration plate of the Black Bentley? And I'd been uh, a bit of a trailblazer of the Famous Five, and I, I'd read them the year before. So there's like obviously no way I could remember that, and sort of um, a couple of minutes later it just popped in my head like that, and uh, I, I said it and it, you know, it, was, it, it was right, and uh, I got I got kudos from Jeffrey Johnston and the, the three or four other people that were gathered around at that stage, and uh, I, I'll never forget that. Brilliant. And do you read the Famous Five to your kids? Uh, yeah, uh, not 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 regularly, but I have read them, um, and. Uh, They've, they've, they've aged pretty well, I have to say, despite mm-hmm. all of the, the ridicule that we, we often ascribe to Enid Blyton's language and um, you know, Dick and Fanny and 
We'll bleep that out. Okay, yeah. Bleep that out. You said bit before. Oh. So yeah. I was just going off that cue. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. Well, listen, it's thank you very much, Mike, for joining us for, for this. I, I've really enjoyed I've really enjoyed hearing about it. Um yeah. maybe we'll have you on on a, a future well, episode. I mean we haven't found out what you're up to in nineteen eighty seven, Sam. Yeah, I, I do fear we're we're um this is twice as long as our usual episodes, but can you put it um, in a nutshell? Yeah, yeah. Um so nineteen eighty five, six three years old. Um I wanna say that I probably started a thing called play school. Mm. Which was tell us more um, about that. It was a room where yeah. there'd be mostly kids and right. some some adults. Right. What? <laughs> 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 so, what was this play school? It was at the village hall. Right. Do you have any brothers not the, or sisters at this stage? Not the main, not the main room, but the uh, the smaller room. A side room. Yeah, yeah. Mike asked a question. Um, yeah, so my brother, he would have been uh, four years, four years older than me at this point. James. Um, so you say yes. four years older, four years older, four years older, so seven. <clears throat> so at, at that point, he was four years older. At that point, he was four years older. Yeah. Um, so what's that? Seven. One. Where are you there? Two. Three, five, five. eight. Is it, is it a Liberace number? Eight, eight, thirteen, thirty-four. But no, no we basically eight, thirteen, twenty-one, thirty. That is the Liberace sequence you're doing there, Chris. Not not Fibonacci. <laughs> um, and there was a video. There was a, It was filmed sometimes. Um, play school. So there was really? the, pl- there was the play school. Oh, video. I've seen that. I've on seen telly. that on the telly. Um, yeah, I don't here. think you've seen. I don't think you've seen this one. And one of the other parents um, described the video as the um, Sam and James show because me and uh, Jimmy were in it so much. You were just holding court. We was the lady hogging, hogging the Benjamin that worked there? Um, <coughs> I can't. I can't remember the names of the. The adults. Did so? Was it because you and James were hogging the limelight, or it's, or it's whoever was filming kept focusing on on you? Well, you could both really not not mutually exclusive, are they? Do you know who filmed it? One of the adults. I, I, it's interesting that you kind of said it was mutually exclusive. You kind of like saying you were partly was kind of taking the blame for like that. Some sort of, you're not. Well, if, you know, if we were if doing, someone is focusing we, on you in that way, you're not to blame. If we were doing good stuff, they're going to point the camera at us. Bit late today. So we've got six minutes left. I think what we should do now is just um, wrap up by talk, talking about next week's film, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Three choices, Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hairspray by John Waters. Interesting. Uh, Ricky Lake, Jerry Stiller, Divine, the drag, the drag queen, um, and Sonny Bono is in it. Mm. Maybe too controversial, actually. 
I like that Sonny like Bono his the work one. with you two. Oh, like right, yeah, no, I get, I get Sonny Bono mixed up with Ike Turner. Uh, Rick, okay. And uh, obviously Sonny Ike Turner is controversial. Sonny Bono died by skiing into a tree. Uh, so you've got Hairspray, John Waters. Second choice is um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown by Pedro Aldemar. Aldemar. And we've got Third film is Distant Voices by Distant Voices Still Lives by Terence Davies. Wow, set in some, Liverpool in the forties and fifties. Wow, some big big hitters here. And um, again, I haven't I've never ventured into John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I did? You see what I did there? Um, I've never ventured into John Waters. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I, I, what from what I've seen of uh, Terence Davis, I really, I really like. I, I can't remember what the film is called, but I loved it. Um, and what was the middle one? Uh, Women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Pedro Shalimar. Yeah, and I've enjoyed all of um, the Pedro films that I've seen. So I, personally, I'd like to go for the John Waters one. But what, what have you gone for? I'm really torn. Like I've, I, I think this is this is the most difficult one. I've ever done on this because John Waters, my Emma, my partner, her bro- her brother and his wife, they they love John Waters. Um, Chris, Chris, yeah, uh, Mike's, ahead, Mike. Mike's just uh, raised his hand, which is very polite. Uh, thanks. No, just, um, I was conscious of time, and I wanted to say thanks for having me in case we run out of time. Oh no, that's definitely not going to happen. We'll, you, we'll definitely give you a pr- proper thanks by before we end. I mean, Mike, are you saying that because you need to go bang on one o'clock? No, no, I just wanted, I was conscious Sam had thanked me for being a guest. I hadn't thanked you, you two. Uh, I'm a big, big fan, so thanks for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very thank, welcome. thank you oh, very much, Mike. Mike. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for being a great brother. Ah, jeez. Oh, hang on, you need yeah. to do this poem, yeah. Chris. So. All right, all right. So, um, so right, we've got... I was on Hairspray, John Waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my, my my partner's family are big fans, John Waters. They've met him a few times. They love him. But the only John Waters film I watched was Serial Mum. Me and Emma watched that. And and I was a bit, a bit underwhelmed by it. And I love RuPaul's Drag Race and John Waters is a big influence on they they always reference in John Waters on that, so I really want to like him and I want to see more of him. But mm-hmm. I want to see more of his controversial stuff. And from what I've heard, Serial Mum and Hairspray are not that right. Okay, not not that controversial. They're more just like nice and quirky. But I want to see the sort of bit more gross sort of stuff from him. Yeah. So I think I'm going to veto that. Um, okay. Next one, I want to see more Pedro Shalop Alderman Almadava. I want to see more of him because I started watching one of his films where someone dressed as a leopard showed up and I thought I'm really going to enjoy this but then didn't get to see the rest of it Um, so I want to see more of his I think they'd be great and I've heard that he really plays with genre Mm -hmm. and that's quite that's always quite interesting and then but I think I'm going to have to say although it's a serious film I think I'm going to have to say Distant Voices Still Lives Fantastic. Because, you know, Liverpool director, set in Liverpool, um, and it looks really good. And 
uh, I worked at Hurricane Films for a bit, and they they produced a documentary that Terence Davies made, and it's just someone that I need to know about, and it looks beautifully shot, and I want to see more of that post-war Britain stuff. I want to see what he's done with it. Um, but I, but yeah, I am torn between that and Pedro. What what did you say you would go for? Well, like I say, I haven't I haven't seen any John Waters films, so just for, for that reason, I'd like to see the John Waters one. But I, I think it's good that we'd avoid the lesser. You know, if we if we yeah. can watch the big hitters, I think that's maybe what what best. What would you go for out of Terence and Pedro? Uh, I, I've seen less of Terence than I have Pedro. Although I have enjoyed every Pedro film that I've seen, um, so I'd probably go with Terence. Okay, we'll go for Terence. Okay, brilliant. brilliant. And okay. let, just let's let's hear your poem. What's the yeah. um, what's the title of the, po- the poem? The Chris? poem is called Brother. Okay, so I'll just I'll just end by saying a watch of worth, and this is poem by Chris Jenkins. Was that the phrase? A watch of worth. I think what he's done is he's turned it round a bit to reference the watch that saved my life when he th- threw the scissors at my at my face. Clever, clever guy. I always said it about him. Did you? Clever, yeah, Sam Turner, clever, clever person. And I call you a bandit. That's not fair, is it? Yeah, it's a bit. Accurate. I prefer a countercultural figure. Figure, figurehead for people for the people so this is brother by chris jenkins and probably quite fitting with the crime baby i think it adds adds atmos yeah definitely brother <clears throat> but he was stronger in will physical strength on this occasion it saved my life Without the slaps, I'd be found there dead, in the safest of places, Grandpa's garden, on the concrete, below a perfect grass lawn, cast in the shadow of a sandstone wall. He was the bull, my brother, the thorn in my side, charging through life, everything done his way. He suffered our circumstances first, his will serious, right, just, logical. It had to be. I was the fool, there to thwart, jest and cut, drawing red, weaker of two, jealousy, rivalry, afterbirth, yellow. I looked for easy wins. But here it was, in red, yellow and grey, a wet, cracked, boiled sweet on a concrete paving slab. He hit the death out of me. In the panic, I had tried so hard to swallow. You struck me. If I had succeeded, the route back would have been too far. At some point, I gave over to you. And then heard the distant but loudest crack of a gun in a dark, faraway wood. From darkness, two glistening pieces shattered on the floor. Relief and disbelief 
a water that filled my whole body. The bull doesn't see red, just movement and shadow. My brother raised me. I owe him everything, red, yellow and grey. We ran in to tell my grandpa. Brilliant. That was great. Mike, thoughts, feelings? Yeah, th- thanks, Chris. Um, I uh, I wasn't sure if uh, you were kind of um, going to do something with a like, comic element to it, but it felt quite heartfelt, actually, and quite um, deep um, and partly beautiful, partly dark, but very moving. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear that again. Not, 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 not now, um, but if uh, you could, like, email it me or something, or, or just, like, we should talk about it. Um, we should put so, it on a, on a podcast. Yeah, well, I feel like I do need that aftercare follow-up thing because yeah. uh, that, oh, that yeah, was beautiful. Sure. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was really, really something. I don't remember it at all. It's lovely to hear. Interesting. Just... All of your childhood things again, and it's lovely, lovelier still to hear them in the form of poetry. So, thanks. Yeah, I think yeah. you're a you're a, you're an amazing brother and uh, not not half bad poet as well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I think what what we like to do with this podcast mic is we flip it on we, we what what you would call flip it on a dime so one you know one bit will be it'll be a knockabout laugh and the next next bit bang it's it's uh we're hitting the uh we're hitting the emotional notes it's like yeah. a it's like a it's like a herzog film and that's our end yeah. is it i'm gonna stop the rat, are, you no. sure, are you sure got mike was gonna say something I was just going to say, yeah.